Hello and welcome to the third episode of the Christmas Alphabet Podcast, where we explore Christmas in alphabetical order. If you're listening to this just as it appears in your feed, then happy Christmas to you and yours. I'm Wayne, I'm your host on this podcast. I'm a church pastor and a broadcaster with a passion for all things Christmas, both spiritual and secular, old and new, local and worldwide. Each time we're looking at topics relating to Christmas, starting with one letter of the alphabet, and I'm releasing an episode every two weeks. So 26 episodes, 26 letters of the alphabet will take us through a whole year. Please do subscribe so you get every episode coming straight to your phone or your device as they're released. If this is your first foray into this podcast, then hi, welcome. Uh, you could go back and listen to episodes A and B, but it's okay to listen out of alphabetical order. Uh, but I wouldn't want you to miss out. But today we are on to the big one, the letter C. This episode's going to be a bit longer than our usual episodes because it's Christmas. And because today, for the first time, I've got a guest to introduce you to who's coming up later. He's a genuine Christmas expert and a great comedy writer and performer and podcaster. He's Paul Carenza. Paul is going to be talking to me about comedy at Christmas, but I'm going to make you wait for that. This is the Christmas Alphabet Podcast, and C is for Christmas. Honestly, as I put together my list of topics for this podcast, the letter C had the longest list of Christmas-related goodness. So I'm going to have to miss out some crackers today, including crackers, though they may get a mention. But I'm starting with C is for Christmas itself. Where else could I start? Why is Christmas called Christmas? And how did it start? That is a good question, and not as simple as you might think. Christmas is called other things in other languages, of course, but in English it's Christmas, which comes from Christ's Mass, the Mass of Christ, the Mass or service or celebration of the birth of Jesus. Christ refers to Jesus. It's the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah, which is God's chosen one. Jesus was recognized by Christians as the one sent by God and was called the Christ, the Messiah. The Mass is the church service, uh, and the Catholic Church has a special Mass for various saints or special people, so you can have a, a Mass for a saint's day. Christmas, Christ Mass, is the service to remember the special day for Jesus, the feast of his nativity, his birth. And Christmas as a festival celebrating the birth of Jesus seems to have started in 336 AD, about 20 years after Christianity became an official religion within the Roman Empire, and they needed to start putting some dates in the calendar. The Feast of the Nativity, as they would have called it, was already settled on December the 25th. That was probably not the date Jesus was born, though some think it was. It was probably marked as nine months after March the 25th, the date of Passover, the date they'd calculated for the death of Jesus and for his conception. 
so nine months later was December the 25th. It was also a time that the Roman world was celebrating its midwinter feasts, so it was a good time to celebrate new life coming into the world, and a time when everyone was letting their hair down and celebrating anyway. So those things sort of came together for December the 25th to be the day that they decided that the birth of Jesus would be celebrated. For a long time, Christmas was less important to Christians than Epiphany a couple of weeks later. Over the centuries, it's grown alongside other midwinter celebrations and kind of got mixed up with all sorts of other festivals. Uh, The Norse festival of Yule is one that's often mentioned in that context. There's been times in the Middle Ages where Christmas has been celebrated wildly uh, and times when it's been forgotten. In Britain, in the years around 1800, Christmas hardly got a mention in the national newspapers at all. It's as if the official media channels ignored it. But then it took two people, really, Washington Irving in the States and Charles Dickens in Britain, to revive Christmas in the 19th century and really make it what it is today. We'll come back to more of this in other episodes. But I wanted to establish our C is for Christmas on this The Christmas Alphabet podcast. In a few minutes, we've got our guest, Paul Carenza, with us, talking about Christmas and comedy. But first, C is for cards. Even in these days of emails and those computer card message things, which are generally a bit disappointing, Christmas cards are an essential part of the modern Christmas. And like very many other things in the modern Christmas, they were started back in the 1840s. The first Christmas card as we know it was sent in 1843, the same year that Charles Dickens wrote A Christmas Carol. It was the idea of Henry Cole. Now, Cole was a remarkable pioneer of 19th century Britain. He was an inventor and designer, a kind of man who could turn his hand to anything. He was full of ideas. He was the main man behind the Great Exhibition of 1851, the first World's Fair of the Industrial Era. And he went on to develop what is now the Victorian Albert Museum in London a museum about design. By the year 1840, people had visiting cards that they took around with them, and they sent Valentine cards to those who they wanted to declare love for. But it was Cole who had the idea to get some cards printed to send to his friends and business contacts at Christmas time. It was he who commissioned a London artist called John Colcott Horsley to design a card for Christmas. His card was a single-sided painting that could be printed in black and white and coloured by hand. It had space at the top to write in who it was to and a line at the bottom for the name of the person it was sent from, which made it simple simply to put those details on and to put it in the newfangled postage system which was something else that Henry Cole had a hand in developing. Horsley's card is in three sections. The centre section carries the words A Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to you. And it shows a family of 
six adults and four children enjoying a meal. Some people say it is Cole and his family. It caused some ripples of controversy by showing one of the children being offered a drink of red wine from an adult's glass. On the panels to the left and right of the main scene are scenes of people in poverty being given clothes and food, perhaps showing something else of the meaning of Christmas. There were about 2,000 of these cards produced, and the ones that Cole didn't want to send himself, he put up for sale, and they sold well, and they started a, a tide of cards that followed in the years after. About a dozen of those original cards are known to exist, and if you've got one and you want to sell it today, well, they reach prices of tens of thousands of pounds or dollars. Uh, worth a lot of money. Uh, I've actually seen and touched one of those original Horsley cards in a library where I live in Manchester. It, w it was a real thrill to me to be able to get close to the first ever Christmas card and examine it with my own eyes uh, and to, to be able to have a really close look at it. Anyway, sending cards at Christmas slowly became fashionable in Britain and then in the US and through the world as postal systems developed. One of my hobbies is to collect old Christmas cards, particularly those made before the First World War, which changed everything. Some of them are small, delicate creations, and many of them have weird and wonderful designs on them. Very few, interestingly, have anything of the biblical or religious message of Christmas. People today say, cards aren't like what they used to be. They don't have anything about the real meaning of Christmas. Well, they didn't, really, in those first 50 years of cards being published. But collecting old Christmas cards is a fascinating hobby. And if you want to take it up, I recommend that you... Don't just buy everything that you find, but you specialise in one artist or one printer or publisher to make your collection unique and more valuable, more specialist. This is Christmas Alphabet. I'm Wayne and this is the C episode, where we're looking at all things Christmassy, beginning with the letter C. And now on the Christmas Alphabet podcast, I've been promising you this C is for comedy at Christmas and I have the pleasure of welcoming our first ever guest on the Christmas Alphabet podcast he's a stand-up comedian an award-winning comedy writer who writes for British TV programs like Miranda and Not Going Out and many other things he's also a notable podcaster himself and has written a brilliant book on the history of Christmas please welcome Paul Carenza Good to be here. Always good to talk about Christmas. Paul, we're looking at C in the Christmas alphabet, and C is for Christmas itself, of course, and for carols and cards and so many other things. But I want what I want to ask you about is C for comedy at Christmas. Uh, is Christmas made for comedy, do you think? Uh, well, or is comedy made for Christmas? I don't know what that even means, but it sounds good. Uh, yeah, well, it's, it's, it's one of those times of year, isn't it? You know, the, the fact that we all come together at Christmas... Uh, I mean, certainly when I was writing the book on the history of Christmas, it, it felt like uh, 
you know, Christmas starts with Norse Yule and gathering around the fire and just digging deep and getting through the tough midwinter and doing it together. That idea of gathering, sharing food, sharing stories, sharing a laugh, you know, and even way back then they would, yeah, they would gather around and they would dress up as people and dress up as gods and put, um, you know, goats heads on their heads. And, you know, they had a laugh with it. That was what that was, even though there was a religious ritual, you know, even before, before Christ, but there was always laughter, I think as well. Were there comics were the comedians in the history of Christmas? Well, yeah, I mean, you go way back to even then, you've got like the Lord of Misrule in Roman yeah. Saturnalia days, you know, the idea that you have a big party, you have the religious side, but you also in, in Roman Saturnalia, you would have the kind of public fun raucous side and a, an elected Lord of Misrule, like a, an ancestor of the, the DJ at a rubbish kind of <laughs> Christmas work party, I suppose, getting people going. It really lasted all the way up to late Victorian era, but in a more middle class form. So by that point, it's more of a twelfth night party. You would have uh, maybe you'd find a pea or a bean, a dried bean in your uh, in your Christmas cake or something like that, and that would be the elected person of the night who would be uh, in charge of the night's uh, hilarity. But in, that was in a much more Victorian, respectable parlour game kind of way. Through there, you get jesters. Uh, panto all of those things i think come from that sort of element of of a, an elected lord of misrule panto is uh i suppose one of the things that we associate with the christmas season and is supposed to be funny not everyone finds it so but <laughs> yeah. yeah and i think the ones that often work are either the ones you, you've got to just go all out and i just go right it's full on cheesy entertainment it's sort of originated early i think 1717 is what the, some of the same was the first panto a guy called john rich who uh, sort of united lots of different types of stage performance and variety and you've got a bit of sort of harlequinade you've got a bit of um, commedia dell'arte from italy so this idea of having a I suppose clownishness at christmas and then slowly family you know became a family sort of show and people used to come along and uh, and also even way back then working in those fun stagecraft elements so the, the fact you could bash a stick against the scenery and it transforms into the prince's palace or whatever it might be or cinderella's ball gowns suddenly appearing all of those things came in really early and it's all part of the fun of it isn't it and nowadays things like mrs brown's boys christmas special that's your modern cultural descendant of it i suppose have you got a favorite sitcom christmas special they all seem to do it these days don't they the the the, the situation comedies have to have their own christmas take on uh, on their their particular family or situation whatever it is is, is uh, are the some of those that have worked particularly well do you think well, yeah, I mean, you know, growing up, I was watching it, the Only Only Fools and Horses ones. Uh, One Foot in the Grave had some great ones. The Royal Family, of course, had some really sort of yeah. uh, pulling on the heartstrings. I've actually helped co-write one for this year, Not Going Out, the Lee Mack sitcom. Uh, we've got a, a panto-themed Christmas special. And we're on season, I think, 12 or 13 now, something like that. So we, we must have done six or seven Christmas specials over the years. And we've done a ghost story one. We've done one about um, Christmas shopping and being trapped in a department store with burglars. And then this year we're doing a panto. So uh, it's it's almost like we are working our way as the sitcom goes on through every Christmas trope possible. We've done a Christmas carol. We've done the ghost story. So it's, I don't know, I doubt we'll keep going in five years from now, but we'll be there going, what are we doing now? The snowman? What's another thing? What have we not done yet this <laughs> year with Christmas? You know, so uh, Christmas keeps on giving that. There's loads of yes. things to do with Christmas, aren't they? Yes. And what peculiar British Christmas tradition that, combines christmas with comedy is the christmas cracker 
Well, you pull your mm. cracker and inside there's a, uh, a little gift and, uh, and, and perhaps something to eat, but also uh, a riddle or a joke. Uh, perhaps that gives Christmas comedy a bad name because they're not normally very mm. good jokes, are they? Do, do you know the, the background to that and why, why it has a, a, an attempt at a joke in it? Yeah, well, I, 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 I must consult my book, Hark the Biography of Christmas, available <laughs> in all good well, available from the cupboard under my stairs. I've got hundreds of copies. Um, but yeah, 1847 seems to be when the Christmas cracker came in. It's one of those odd things that has really stayed largely in this country. I think you go to America and offer them a Christmas cracker, they expect a bit of cheese on it and a nice little biscuit. But yeah. um, uh, but it's, it's yeah, this odd thing where basically it's quite a, an odd, unique origin story where this is uh, English confectioner in East London, Clerkenwell, called Tom Smith, uh, had this sort of upper middle to upper class confectioners and he went on holiday to paris saw these little bonbons these little french fashionable wrapped sweets and thought those are good i shall sell those for my uh especially before christmas for his uh rich um, upper class female clientele for their christmas parties and they were a hit but each year then he decided they had a little he had a little love motto inside so as you said yeah. the jokes aren't that funny but originally they often like love mottos or uh, resolutions for the years to come or those sorts of things like getting fortune cookies so often you can't tell, is it a joke or is it a motto or is it a bit of trivia? You know, and often you need to say, by the way, this is a joke, you know, in case it is fun. <laughs> yes. uh, so over the years, he adapted it, changed it, lost the the sweet and the almond, added trinkets. Eventually, a, the paper hat came in about sort of, uh, I think, nearly half a century later. So and the bang, of course, the crackle. Yes, of the cracker, apparently inspired by a crackling bit of log in his fireside that he once heard. But that, that may be a legendary story. Who knows? <laughs> Any uh, jokes that come out of Christmas crackers that uh, that would make you chuckle? No, they're all terrible. I think it's fair to say. <laughs> but that's part of the joy of it, isn't it? It's all things like, you know, you get the um, uh, what's uh, what's Abba's favourite part of Christmas dinner? The Swede dish. <laughs> you know, it's it's all that sort of... Um, the one, then they did the topical ones. I think about five years ago, it was... Um, What's what's Miley Cyrus's favourite Christmas dinner dish? Twerky, because she was the twerking thing at the time, you know. Yeah. Uh, and there's all this stuff about Brexit and, you know, what, how does Brexit change a Christmas dinner? No Brussels. We get the COVID ones this year then, presumably. Well, exactly. This is the thing, isn't it? It's, uh, you know, start, and it's topical for a year or two. And then, uh, well, I, I wish I wish COVID were only topical for yeah. a year or so. It would be lovely to put, look back on, looking back on that now. But, and of course, you know, Christmas crack is one of those things when you have, you know, certainly Christmas 2020, we had a small, just, just sort of the four of us for Christmas day. Many people had it, of course, on their own. And in that, isn't that the sad, you know, you, if you can't pull a cracker with someone else, you've got to pull it yourself. You know, it's, uh, it's the way it goes. So Christmas is meant to be a time of gathering. In the meantime, we do what we can and hopefully share a laugh as we do it. But there you are. Thank you for joining us, Paul. Let's mention your Comedians and Carols uh, tour. You uh, you do a lot of those yourself, but also um, organise them for, with other people involved. Yeah, we go around, we do a show called Comedy and Carols. It was originally based on the Nine Lessons in Carol service. So we'd have a little sing-song, but we'd have comedians doing their sets uh, in between instead of the lessons. Yeah, we've, we found Nine Comedians and Carols was a little long. About three hours later, uh, people <laughs> are missing their train home. So now it's largely just me or one or two other comedian guests, and we do these live shows and have a bit of a sing-song and a uh, good old Christmas time of it. That's the plan. Well, I'll also plug your book. I've got a copy of it here. Uh, oh, yes, Ar- there you go, matching. Ar- there you the go. Biography of Christmas, Paul Carenza. Uh, fantastic book, one of the best books on the history of Christmas. Uh, read that and have a laugh, but also learn loads of fantastic history. And uh, your podcast, The British Broadcasting Century, is going mm. from strength to strength. Thank you for that.
Well, thank uh, you. And you, you've been on it once or twice. You've little, if you listen carefully, you can hear some Wayne Clark cameos, can't you? Yes, this is true. Yeah, uh, thank you for being on uh, the Christmas Alphabet podcast, Paul Carenza. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. That was my first ever guest on this podcast, Paul Carenza. Carenza with a K. Uh, I do recommend his book, which is called Hark! The Biography of Christmas. Do look him up online if you want to find out more about Paul Carenza. I'm Wayne and this is the Christmas Alphabet Podcast. Today we're looking at all things Christmassy, starting with the letter C. And we're coming towards the end now. We'll finish with a song story. But first, these are the things that nearly made it into the podcast but didn't quite get there. C is for carols. I just wish I had more time to talk about the background to Christmas carols. I've just done a series for carols for the BBC, for BBC Local Radio. But I don't want to make this episode too long, so those carol stories will have to wait for other letters of the alphabet when they fit in. C is also for the book A Christmas Carol. Uh, We'll come back to that in the next episode under D for Dickens. We could have mentioned Cliff, Cliff Richard that is, who for many British people is seen as Mr Christmas, the singer who's had so many Christmas hits. Sorry Cliff, no time. We could have discussed C for Christingle, that orange-based illustration of Christmas that's so popular in schools and churches with a European background. We could have talked about cake, Christmas fruit cake that is still loved in Britain and across Europe, but but widely mocked in the United States. That might get a mention under F for food at Christmas. But we're finishing this C episode of the Christmas Alphabet podcast, as we always do, with a Christmas song. And as you've probably realised by now, I tend toward the more traditional end of songs, I'll be honest with you, I really wanted to do the Coventry Carol. The Coventry Carol is a lovely, traditional carol. It starts with a solid C, and Coventry is my home city. But I've decided against it, because the words are all about, well, one of the gruesome sides of the Christmas story that probably don't fit with an episode that you may well be listening to on Christmas Eve. So... Look that up if you like, but instead I'm going to end with another traditional, very old Christmas carol that's more appropriate for Christmas morning, and associated not with the city where I was born, but with the city I now live in, the city of Manchester in northwest England. It's the carol, Christians Awake, Salute the Happy Morn.
The writer of this Carol for Christmas Morning is John Byram, who was born in 1692 in a building that is now a pub in the centre of Manchester that's now a tourist attraction. He was known for being a very tall man. He was a poet and invented a new system of shorthand. It's thought he wrote the poem Christians Awake as a Christmas present for his daughter Dolly in 1745. The original manuscript of the poem still exists and you can see it in Chetham's Library in Manchester. The poem was soon published and adapted into a hymn and a tune was added by a young organist called John Wainwright. And this poem, now a Christmas carol, has been in print and sung on Christmas Day for the last 270 years, which is good going. The text tells the story of the birth of Jesus as told in Luke's Gospel, of how the angels visit the shepherds and break out into praises. The shepherds then went to the manger, also praising God. Then the words end by calling on Christians who are now awake to ponder in our mind God's wondrous love in saving lost mankind and singing our own praises to heaven's almighty king. Unlike many carols, the words I think are meaningful and the tune carries the words well. It's, it's a, a tune with something different to it that makes it really quite singable. It's a bit of an old-fashioned carol, but it's still got real power to it. If you don't know it, check it out. This is the Christmas Alphabet Podcast. I'm your host, Wayne, and that's the end of this episode for the letter C. It has been longer than most of our episodes. Uh, we normally try to be a little bit shorter than this, but we've had so much to fit in, and it is Christmas. All the music on this podcast is in the public domain or used for review purposes. Please subscribe to the Christmas Alphabet podcast. We're going to keep these going after the Christmas season is done. But for many of us who love Christmas all year round, we're going to keep the Christmas spirit alive. Please get your friends to subscribe. Please share this new venture. You can follow us on the social media uh, we're at Christmas Alphabet Podcast on Facebook or at Christmas Alpha on Twitter, Christmas Alphabet on Instagram. Let us know you're part of our Christmas Alphabet community. The website is christmasalphabet.com where you can find all our episodes and you can also send me a note by email. That's wayne at christmasalphabet.com. I'll be back in two weeks with D. D for Dickens, and, well, we'll have to see what else. Please subscribe and please spread the word. And most of all, have a happy, blessed Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. <laughs> <laughs>